This is John chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 11. Sorry, Revelation chapter 4. John 4 and Revelation 4. Verse 1 of John 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "'Give me a drink.'" For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water spring up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have said well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Then the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's just stop there. Revelation chapter 4. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit Behold, a throne set in heaven. One sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance as an emerald. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes. They had crowns of gold on their heads. 
And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around about the throne were four, four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. Third living creature had a face like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Wherever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and they were created. Amen. What was God's purpose in creating human beings? Part we read in Revelation chapter 4 implies that we were created to worship and to give God pleasure. God delights in worship. He loves to receive worship. The objective of worship is to pay homage and honor and reverence and respect and glory and praise and adoration unto our God. If you were to read further on in Revelation, you'd see that that, that little doxology that we read there towards the end gets bigger and bigger and bigger until they run out of words to say in order to praise and give God the glory that is due to Him. And so this gives God immense pleasure. Now, I don't know why exactly that is, but it is. But can I offer you a suggestion why God takes immense pleasure out of worship? I believe it's because it's based upon faith and trust. Lucifer in heaven fell. Adam in paradise fell. All of the disciples that walked with Jesus for three and a half years, all of them failed. After the ascension, when Jesus left and went up to the glory, all of them had to worship God the way you and I have got to worship God, by faith and by trust, because He was no longer physically there. They no longer could see Him or touch Him. He was gone. We have never been to heaven. We have never walked in paradise. We never had Jesus for three and a half years in the flesh. The only way we can worship Him is by faith and by trust. And God created us with the capacity and the propensity, the desire to worship Him. We are unique among all of God's creatures. We're the only creature on the face of the earth that can choose consciously, deliberately, by our own volition, to worship Almighty God. Now, it's true that God could even make the stones cry out if He wanted to, but He doesn't. 
But we have the choice. We alone have the choice. And we can do this. However, since the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden, our ability and desire to worship has been perverted and distorted. As a sinner, man knows he's supposed to worship God, but he refuses to do it. Something or someone has distorted or distracted the hearts of men. And we know who that someone is and what that something is. It's the devil and it's sin that has distracted and distorted the heart of man and caused his worship to be diverted onto other things except God. So that they worship the creature more than the creator. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 speaks about this. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what, they, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and in their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like incorruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. So, man's worship that was due unto God has been diverted onto the creature, but not onto God. Sinners, men, know how to know that they were born intuitively, know that they were born to worship God, to give God pleasure. And without this, we really cannot be fulfilled in this life. Without this, there is really no point no purpose to life because that is the purpose. But here's the problem. As sinners, how can we approach a holy God? What grounds do we have to stand on? He's a holy God. We're sinners. There's such a great gulf between, isn't there? Of course, this is where Christ comes in, isn't it? He's the only one who can reconcile man to God. He's the only one who could redeem us and reconcile us to God. No one comes to the Father except by me. There are many religions, there are many cults, there are many people who say that they're spiritual, there are many who say that they're worshipping God, but are they worshipping the true God? Are they worshipping the living God? Because if they're not coming through Jesus Christ, God's Son, then it's not true worship and they're not worshiping the living God. There is one mediator between men and God, the man Christ Jesus. There's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. So no matter how sincere a person may be about their religion or their beliefs, no matter if they tell us, well, I worship God, but wait a minute, have you come to God through His Son? Because if you haven't, then you're not a true worshiper. 
Jesus says that God desires men to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now here in John 4 is a woman who truly believed that she was worshiping God. Irrespective of her lifestyle, which was wrong, like many today. We see these movie stars and celebrities and they say, well, I'm a spiritual person, whatever that means. And they live like the devil. In fact, they live, some of them, the devil's nearly more respectable than they live. But yet they say, I'm a spiritual person. But here's a woman who was brought up as a Samaritan, truly believing that she was a worshiper of God, never crossed her mind that she could be wrong. Never crossed her mind. And there's many people like that today. It doesn't cross their mind that they could possibly be wrong. But she was wrong. And she didn't know that until she met Jesus. And so here she is. And in this conversation that she's having with Christ, we see that he's directing her to become a true worshiper. Because that's what the Father wants. In verse 20, the woman spoke of worship in the context of a place, Mount Gerizim. That was her place of worship. Verse 21, Jesus spoke of worship in the context of a person, not a place, but a person, the Father. Religious people has to have a place The place is the most important thing. But the spiritual man realizes, yes, we can come corporately together and we ought to in a building to worship God or in a field for that matter, but the place is not the real important thing. It's the person whom we worship. Of course, sometimes people use that as an excuse for not coming to a place to regularly worship. But this is only bricks and mortar. I mean, this building we have down the street has been a blessing, and it will be a blessing for many years to somebody as God's house, but it's only bricks and mortar. We know that. And that's why we can change it. And You know, there's some churches, if you move the pulpit, there'll be a split in the church. My Aunt Jeannie, she paid for that, and that's going to stay, and there's a brass plaque to show that. And the place becomes the most important thing. And Jesus said, the person is the most important thing. But to her it was the place, it was Mount Gerizim. We say that we worship in this place, but you worship in Jerusalem. Now you have to understand that the Samaritans were, they were a mixed breed. They were Jews and Gentiles mixed. Whenever the Assyrians uh, conquered the ten tribes in the north, and as, as superpowers in those days would do, they would kill many, take many captive. Those that were left, they'd bring other captives from other countries they had occupied and bring them in and assimilate them and intermarry. So that would weaken that race. And this is what happened to the Samaritans. And the Jews despised them, hated them, had no dealings with them. They would have walked a hundred miles out of their way rather 
than go through the center of Samaria. But Jesus deliberately went through here because he had an appointment with this woman. But they had their own, built their own temple. They had their own rituals, their own worship. It was a kind of syncretism, kind of a mixture. But they believed in it. This woman was genuine. She truly, genuinely believed that she was a worshiper of God. And she talked about Jacob, our fathers. That's her history, she was saying. Of course, the Jews didn't believe that, but she did. And she was very sincere. It says, you worship in Jerusalem. So that's the center of Jewish worship, isn't it? Mecca is the center of Muslim worship. Amritsa is a center of Sikh worship. Salt Lake City is a center of Mormon worship. And on and on you could go. Places. The Ganges, the river Ganges, the sacred Ganges to the Hindu. Places. Westminster Abbey, Westminster Cathedral, the place where we meet every Sunday here. Places. But the place is not as important as the person. Sure it's not. Actually, as believers, you and I can worship anywhere, anytime. All we've got to do is lift up our heart unto the Lord. Paul and Silas in the prison at midnight, battered, bruised, beaten. Dark, dank, stinking hole of a dungeon. And yet, in that moment... It became a sanctuary of praise unto God because they praised God in that. Jonah even praised and worshipped God in the belly of the great fish. Now, God does command us to meet corporately together. So let's not get away from that. And it's handy, it's convenient if we have a building to meet in corporately, isn't it? Thank God for this building, hard seats and all. <laughs> well, the one thing we'll miss here is the car park. It's not the thing we'll really miss. Right out of the Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the gathering of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Psalm 22.22, 22, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. Acts 7.48 God does not dwell in temples and buildings made with hands. Know you not that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And then Paul says in Romans 12 that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices unto God which is our reasonable service. Why present our bodies? Well, let me tell you the obvious thing. If we don't show up, God doesn't show up. As soon as we go out of here tonight, and Johnny locks the doors, you drive out of the car park, shut the gates, God will no longer be here. Well, he's everywhere present, but to all intents and purposes, for any real purpose, he's not going to be here because we're not here. The reason why he's here tonight is because we're here. And he meets in the midst of us. So wherever believers turn up and meet together, he's there by his spirit, isn't he? But if we don't turn up, 
If he doesn't turn up, what would be the point? Why do we present our bodies? Because your body contains, let me just reverse this, your body contains not only the Holy Spirit, but your spirit. God is spirit, Jesus said. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit, small s, and in truth. Relating to our regenerated, born again spirit. Your regenerated, born again spirit has been made born again by God And one of the reasons is specifically to be able to offer worship unto God. For the first time in our lives when we got born again was the first time that we could truly worship the living God in spirit and in truth. And we want it to. We want it to. Our hearts want it to reach up to God. Our spirit want it to touch heaven. We want it to, because we've been reborn again. And so our recreated, reborn human spirit is designed to worship, real worship, true worship, worship in spirit and in truth. What better to worship God, the Spirit, than our born-again human spirit? You know, the angels worship God and the living creatures around the throne worship God, but they're not born again. And they don't need to do it by faith. But how much more pleasure does God receive when we as human beings, born again from above, whenever by faith we reach up and worship God? That delights God. He loves that. That's better than all the angels worshiping Him. Whenever you worship Him, there's something that delights the heart of God whenever we worship Him. Amen? Psalm 103 and 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Philippians 3, 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. Romans 8 and 26 and 27. In fact, wait a minute. Just look at that verse very quickly. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is, also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now here's the Holy Spirit helping, encouraging our recreated born-again spirit to pray, to reach out to God, to touch God. And what an advantage that is. 
with groanings which cannot be uttered in articulate speech. And as Pentecostals, we believe that is speaking in other tongues, speaking in the heavenly language. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. And then, verse 14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. Now, we haven't time tonight to go into all of that and dissect all of that, but just other than to say that the Holy Spirit helps our spirit to communicate with God who is spirit. And what an advantage and what a blessing that can be for our lives. Why do we present our bodies? Because your body gives a visible expression to the worship of your spirit. That visible expression may be your mouth. It may be the raising of your hands. It may be the clapping of your hands. Everybody's got a, well, most people anyway, unless you've had an accident, has got a 10-stringed instrument at the end of your arms. So we can, we can make some kind of a sound, can't we, as worship. Maybe the lifting of our hands. It may be the kneeling. It may be bowing. It may be, but our body's given some expression to the worship. Now we know that there's different tastes people has in worship. For instance, a number of years ago, there was a couple came here, and lovely couple, in fact. And uh, but after a while, this couple. The wife left. He continued, but the wife left. Then I got talking to her one day and I asked her why she'd left. And she says, well, it's the worship. She says, uh, I don't really like it. And uh, I says, oh, why? Well, she says, it's all those instruments. And she says, I, I just like an organ. And she says, and then she says, and she says, why does those worship bands have to stand facing us? Should they not be facing the way we're facing and all is worshiping God that got together. So I knew the church that she had been going to since she left us. And I said to her, uh, see the church you're going to now? Haven't they got a choir? Yes. What way do they stand? And you could see, I, could see her, I could see her mind going, thinking, yeah, what way do they stand? I said, do they not stand facing you? Ah, she says, I they do. I said, now I'm not trying to trick you here, but, but let me tell you this. What we're talking about here is your preference, but it's not a biblical principle. Because the impression is trying to give me that we were biblically wrong how we worshipped. I said, no, this is a preference, and it's your preference. You're entitled to your preference. Nothing wrong with an organ, there's nothing wrong with a choir. If that's what you like, fine. That's a blessing to you. Good. So I wasn't arguing against that. But I says, you don't like what we're doing. That's your preference, but it's not a principle. Look at the last four or five psalms and you'll see about the musical instruments and the high sounding is and all the rest of it. 
and clapping and even dancing and everything. So I says, it's a preference, not a principle. Our bodies give expression to the worship in our spirit. So she got hung up on a place, but Jesus directed her to a person. God as Spirit and God as Father. Three times, verse 21 and 23, Jesus dresses God as the Father because she had been talking about, in verse 20, about our fathers, the patriarchs. She mentioned Jacob. But Jesus didn't talk about our fathers. He talked about the Father. So he wasn't talking about a family union here. But she was talking about the patriarchs, the family of the patriarchs, the fathers, the, <laughs> the old fathers. No, he's talking about the Father. He wasn't talking about a biological union here. Like Cheryl and Ferns and little Aaliyah. It's a biological union there. He was talking about a spiritual union. He was talking about the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son. A union of deity. God the Father and God the Son. In John 10, he says, I and the Father are one. In John 14, he who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If you would have known me, you would have known my Father also. He's affirming his deity. He's affirming his equality with God. You know, she's about to find out who he really is. And if you follow that story on through, you see how her address to him changed from a Jew to a prophet, Messiah, Christ. <laughs> And suddenly she's realizing who she's talking to. Whenever he exposed her whole life, the light came on. This just wasn't an ordinary person she was talking to here. Paul said in Ephesians 1 and 3, Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter said it himself in 1 Peter 1 3, Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. John in 2 John 3 says, Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and in love. What point am I trying to make here? Simply this, that worshiping God as spirit is a bit difficult to define. It really is. Some talks about God is the great universal power of the great supreme being. Jesus said God was his father and the only way to get to him is through me. It's just because we're one. We agree in one. We do everything together. He says, I don't even speak without I hear from him first. Everything I do is because he told me to do it. So he's directing this woman's worship away from a place onto a person. 
Salvation of the Jew, he said. Not in written statement, salvations of the Jew. Hmm. You remember Simeon in the temple, whenever the infant Jesus came in, Mary and Joseph, remember what he said? Now, Lord, let me depart in peace, for my eyes have seen the salvation. Referring to this little child, the Christ child. Wasn't Jesus born a Jew? Actually, we owe the Jews a lot. We owe the Jews a lot today. Jesus was born as a Jew. He was born in a Jewish land. Our Bible came through the Jews. With all of their faults and with all of their failings. And there's no country or nation that hasn't got them or people. But we owe them a lot. We owe them a lot. So let's never forget that. Jesus said in John 5.23 that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. They're so linked together as one. That when you worship the Father, you're worshiping the Son, and when you worship the Son, you're worshiping the Father. Can't be one without the other. Jesus said to worship God in spirit and in truth. So worship must be two things. It must be spiritual and it must be scriptural. Jesus was trying to get this woman to be a true worshiper. So it'd have to be spiritual and it'd have to be scriptural. Spiritual worship from our spirit, from our heart. You wouldn't say to somebody, I love you with all of my head. comes from deep within. And I know this wee man here that leads us week after week. I know that sometimes he cries and he weeps and he gets emotional. But I know it comes from his heart. It comes from his heart. And he was always like that since the first day I ever knew him. It must be not only spiritual, it must be scriptural. It must emanate from the revelation of the Word of God that we have about God and who He is and what He is. Our worship must come out of that. Not out of our imaginations, which are thoughts. Not out of our inclinations, which is our feelings. But first of all, out of the revelation of who God is and what He is. That's scriptural. How are we going to know that? Through the scriptures, through the Word. And whenever we look into the Word, we see who God is, we see what He is, then we can worship Him 
both spiritually and scripturally. Let us finish by saying this. And we all know this, but it's true. Worship is more than just words or songs or instruments or clapping or raising our hands or anything like that. Worship is more than all of that. Worship can be our lifestyle. That brings God pleasure. That glorifies God. Worship can be in our giving. Whatever that may be, that glorifies God. That gives God pleasure. That exalts God in our lives. Worship can be our compassion, our acts of mercy, our steps of faith. All of that done for him in his name for his sake is worship. Amen? So you don't have to wait till you come together on Sunday or till you're listening a praise CD in your car, all of which I do and all of which is wonderful. You don't have to wait for that. Everything you do unto him is worship. It's worship. You may be the worst singer in the world, but if you did unto him, it's worship. You may never be able to play an instrument in your life, but you may do acts of mercy. And you may take steps of faith. All of that is worship unto him. Your lifestyle will reflect and deflect the glory back to God. And he'll be glorified. And he'll be pleased. He'll be worshipped. We were made to worship. We were born to worship and we were reborn to worship God in spirit and in truth. And there's something about it that encourages us, that strengthens us. Drive along the road, singing away there. Song comes into your head. You lift up your heart. That's encouraging, isn't it? You're on your own. You're reading the Word of God. You see something that jumps out at you. You praise God for it. That's worship unto God. God blesses you. You say, Lord, you bless me. I'm going to bless you back here. I'm going to bless your kingdom. And you give that extra. That's worship unto God. Hmm? See somebody has a need somewhere. You step in. You fill that need. That's worship unto God. All of that glorifies Him. And when you glorify Him, you're worshiping Him, aren't you? I mean, it's not... Brain surgery, this is it? Sure it's not. I mean, it's simple, isn't it? So we're worshippers unto God tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have equipped us to worship. You've given us hands. You've given us a voice. You've given us a heart to glorify you. So Lord, help us, Lord, this week that's coming in 
to be worshipers. Not just in the words that we say, but in the deeds that we do. In the life that we live. In the light that we show. That you may be glorified in us and through us. Because then we'll know that we're truly pleasing you. That that will give you great pleasure. So we give you thanks for this. And we thank you for this day with your people gathered together to corporately worship your name. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.